you're listening to the FIBEP Media Intelligence Podcast. My name is Vlado. I'm one of the hosts and together with me is Alicia. Hi, Alicia. Hello, Vlado. Nice to see you and hear you, of course. <laughs> see me and hear me at the same time. This is the miracle yeah, yeah. of we the internet. Post the, <laughs> we'll post the video on OnlyFans or something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> This is really, how to say, energetic and surprising start. By the way, we receive a lot of questions, not about OnlyFans or Patreon or whatever, but uh, a lot of questions. Are we going to move this podcast to YouTube? And I'm sorry to say that we are not. <laughs> we'll still produce the podcast, but it will be like a real, old-fashioned, 100% pure audio podcast distributed in audio channels like uh, Spotify. But yeah, we kind of moved to YouTube too, just to utilize and to experiment with that channel, but there won't be any video. So this is one of the internal announcements. And the other one is that we will continue with uh, second season. So when we started the podcast, we said, okay, we will do just one season. But yeah, in a way we... We did it. So it's yeah, it the end of season one. <laughs> that uh, people liked it and actually someone is listening to us as yeah, big surprise. <laughs> so uh, we'll be continuing with the second season, but there will be some changes in the second season. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so wait uh, to see what we are going to prepare for you for the second season. I'm really excited about it. And uh, the first episode that we already planned, it's also going to be big and long ones, I suppose. So maybe we'll, you know, have to cut it into parts or something, but I can't wait for the first episode of second season. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Uh, and because this is this time of the year when we say a lot of things, mm. I would like to thank, first of all, to our listeners, uh, everyone who listened to this podcast and spent with us like enormous amount of time listening about the media intelligence world and the media intelligence ecosystem and all these interesting topics which we covered. We would like to say thanks to all the guests uh, which were very generous to stay with us and share their knowledge with us. And at the end, we would like to thank FIBEP and, of course, uh, Sofia Karakeva and uh, Alessandro Cederlech, our producers and people who support us. I would like to say thanks to Anna Tsenova, who is helping us with uh, our marketing uh, materials. And we would like to say thanks to Oresti, Thank you guys for helping us uh, doing this podcast. And of course, I'm going to forget someone. Of course, Emily, <laughs> a lot of all, all the kind people from uh, the FIBEP uh, community. Uh, really looking forward to record more, more content together with you. Saying all of this and saying a few words about FIBEP, we would like uh, to say a few announcements from FIBEP. Alicia, the honor is 100% yours. So it's almost the end of the year. So there are like less activity on FIBA, but still we have a couple of announcements. So the first one is that on December 6th, we had an online discussion, uh, which topic was balancing media measurement, AI versus people. And that was a review of how technology may or may not contribute to more robust measurement of media. And the guests of the discussion were Steph Bridgman from Experience Media Analysts and Matthew Couchman from Cometric. And the conversation was moderated by Todd Murphy. We already recorded an episode with Todd Murphy. So yes, if, you, yes. if you heard it, you already know that was a very energetic and, and great panel. Um, it was actually pretty interesting because that was a discussion between an AI enthusiast and a skeptic. So it was a really good listen. And also Todd was asking like really good and hard question. He was like very to the point. So I would recommend you to listen. You can listen uh, to it on fibab.info website. And one big announcement that we also have that if you are a FIBAP member, until the end of December, you have access to AMEC Foundation course in measurement and media evaluation. So if you are like me and you were like, okay, I, I'm going to do this course, but I, I didn't really get around it. You have time until the end of December. So I recommend you do it now. Okay. These were the announcements and let's move to our first section of the podcast, which are the industry news. One news. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to have opinions on that. So <laughs> sure we have because everybody, okay, I'll just shoot it. We'll talk about uh, ChatGPT and Lensa AI, those two AIs, which appeared and Actually, for a very fast uh, period of time, they become mainstream. And a lot of people who are not with tech background or media intelligence background suddenly had access to these extremely powerful tools. And the result was 
very interesting. So let's start with the, the easier one, the easier to understand. And that's, of course, Lens AI. <laughs> yeah. few words about what is Lens AI. Let's agree that it's not sure that everybody knows what about Lens AI. This is mobile app. On that app, you can, you as a user can upload your selfies. And after that, for a modest amount of money, you will receive somewhere between 50 and 200 different avatars, which will be generated by AI. And these avatars will will be with from different styles. And some of them will be like drones, some of them will look like photos, etc. But yeah, it will be pretty much you <laughs> in most of the <laughs> in most of the cases. But yeah, in from different angles, uh, different clothes, different hairs, uh, drawn with different styles, etc. That's the tool. And suddenly everyone started to like the, all the social media was invaded by avatars generated by people. And this is how we learned about that. Alicia, how did you learn about Lensa? Of course, my social media was flooded by uh, people who created their own avatars uh, on Lensa. I guess it was around like $20 or something like that to get the avatar. Uh, so basically you feed the app with your selfies. It's yep. best to have a different size sides of your face fed to the app. And then it generates you the avatars that are like, like in this fantasy or like supernatural or sci-fi mm. style. And they are actually looking pretty good. They, they look like something yeah. that you will come an actual artist to do. Why are we discussing this in the Media Intelligence Podcast? Because in the past we discussed this so-called generative networks which allow artists to generate uh, images. This is the first time when this was in a way democratized. So it was extremely accessible for everyone to create and utilize this AI. That's why we put it here, but this won't be the last time. So within the Media Intelligence Podcast, we are really interested to discuss how users generate content and how we as professionals measure that content and measure that communication. And this is the case where people started to generate content, in this case, images in a very accessible way. And uh, my opinion, so if we need to be, I don't know, if we need to throw again predictions here so how will this influence uh, our industry i strongly believe that uh, in long term more and more of this content will be generated uh, by people and we as uh, uh, media intelligence practitioners will need to evaluate it and this will be part of our services we need to measure uh, we need to recognize uh, this type of content and see how people interact with it so yeah this is a new thing and this thing will stay so that's why we just want to say that Alicia would you like to add something that's particularly for Lensa actually there was many controversies around the of Lensa course. app yeah and some of them comes with the fact that Prisma Labs, who is the owner of the app, is based in Russia. <laughs> so basically you're sending your face to somewhere in Russia and your face model stays in their neural network. I think it was stable diffusion, right? Yes. So you actually fed your face to some AI network in Russia. And I think a lot of people are not thinking about it, that they are actually giving the right to their face to some people they don't really know. So that's the one thing. Of course, there's no information while you're using the app that you're giving the permission to the app owners to use your face in any uh, other times. But you do. Mm. But you actually yeah. do. And the other controversy is that they actually, it's kind of funny, but a lot of people generated their avatars and some of them were nude or like spicy, yeah. let's yeah. say. Yeah. 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 And there was a controversy that they didn't give the permission to upload them, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one other one. That there is like no control over what the app's gonna generate. And the third one is actually how the Lensa AI was fed with with what Lensa yeah. AI was fed. So there is a lot of artists that recognize their art styles mm, in mm. the avatars but they have not given any permission to anyone yeah, to yeah. be a part of the process. So they didn't agree for their art to be fed to the AI. They didn't get any any money from it. So they are actually accusing the app of stealing from them. Yeah. So this is a very big issue. There is also a really big issue in artist community because 
actually there is a lot of people who call themselves AR artists right now. So they yeah. just, you know, write the prompt for the AI and the AI generates and their post is as their art. And artists who like, you know, spend ages crafting their skills and all of that are like yeah. really discussed about it. So there's a lot of controversy about this app. I really recommend you to read more about it because I don't think this is going to be discussion that's going to end soon. And there is much more new apps that are uh, trying to do the same thing that Lensas did. There's a new like filter on TikTok that can change you into the anime avatar or something yes. like that. Yeah. So there's a lot, a lot of that. And people are not really thinking, so, okay, you send already your face to, to Russia, you might send your face to China, <laughs> whatever. So if I can, in a way, summarize, what did you just say? There are three main topics to be considered on this is on the more darker side like first copyright issues then who actually owns the data at the end and who can use our faces and what for so <laughs> can they produce fake identities etc so is this yeah that's a very uh, prominent problem what was the other one by the way yeah i also told you that you have no control over what yeah. app is gonna generate right so that was the problem with yeah and a lot of women was yeah, yeah. Was Absolutely. So for, this is from, yeah, the, we can connect this with the ethical AI episode because, yeah, I read the article about a lot of uh, females which received uh, avatars and they were nude. So let's say yeah. I generated nude avatars for them, which is, it's not okay. <laughs> There's one Chinese app that also do the, that change your photos into the like, like drone avatars and it actually changed people's skin color. And it's also very problematic. Again, this will stay. So a lot of challenges, but this will stay. This is my prediction. So let's see how the users will educate themselves and how they will use this to express themselves because this technology will stay. This is Lensa. Let's move to ChatGPT. ChatGPT, something similar, but way more powerful. This is AI, which is trained to give answers. And not only, <laughs> but that's why they call it chat. So it looks like a chatbot, but it's a way more than that. It's a very advanced uh, AI, uh, which is capable to give answers to very complicated problems and can summarize articles. So pretty much this is a very educated machine, which is very productive and has a very diverse knowledge. And the other very interesting thing, it works on a lot of languages. So including Bulgarian, my language, which is mm. really how it works out of the box. So I can communicate with ChatGPT in Bulgarian, which is amazing. Have you tried it? Yeah, well, of course. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we tried it and... Was the like language model good? It is. Actually, oh, okay. it's pretty good. We tried it with really extreme examples we we gave it extreme examples which required like um, deep knowledge let's say within let's say bulgarian underground music scene or okay. bulgarian music pop scene just to imagine what we did with uh, chat gpt we asked chat gpt to write a text for a song which is in the style of particular songwriter in bulgarian mm -hmm. And actually, ChatGPT created a song for us, like the text for the song. And it looks like a text which is suitable for that person, the style of that person. So this is amazing <laughs> in many ways. Again, a very promising technology. It will stay here. And right now, users are using it to generate memes. So they, Mostly. Yeah. yeah, they generate memes. And you will see your social media flooded by these screenshots of questions and answers. Questions written by people and answers provided by ChatGPT. So yeah, that, that's one side of the things why we are mentioning this technology. But I would like to mention it because this is a very good demonstration of how these type of technologies can actually empower media research analysts. Because... Within our industry, a lot of effort and a lot of time is consumed by people who write reports on certain topics or they write uh, abstracts, etc. For a long period of time, a lot of companies, actually like tech companies within the media intelligence ecosystem, provide similar services where uh, we use language models or technologies similar to ChatGPT to innovate and automate uh, some part of the media intelligence process or media intelligence products. 
And in that case, these are reports, so automated reporting and automated abstracting. And ChatGPT is a great example how technology like that can help people to understand and process a lot of documents and pretty much give answers. This is why it's promising and this is why I'm mentioning this technology here. But I will hurry up this time and say all the negative stuff before giving the word to Alicia. There are a lot of challenges because ChatGPT gives answers and these answers, they look very good. But there are mistakes and pretty much in each answer, usually there is just one mistake. So if you ask very complex questions, you will receive a very long answer and mostly it will be right. Like generally the answer from ChatGPT will be right, but there will be errors. So all of this can be a huge productivity boost for the natural intelligence in our industry. Like people can utilize this type of technologies, but they need to be supervised. Actually, there is less like ethical questions around the chat GPD because it was created by OpenAI, which is based in San Francisco. And cannot undress you yet. Yeah, <laughs> yet at this point. It, it was amazing. Yeah, because I actually prompted it to write a, a code from me, spawn a code from me. It, it needed a little twinking, but I didn't have to do anything. I just like yeah. have to add some spaces and all of that. It, it was a code that was working. So it was like, wow. Like Also, could it write my thesis for me? <laughs> <laughs> like, can I just yeah. feed it all the literature and then please give me a physics based yeah. on this yeah. topic? It's really like mind blowing what we, what we can do. But then you said there are mistakes. So it's still a need supervision. It still needs someone who will actually check what it generated and uh, if there is like lies, let's say, in yeah. it, yeah. right? False uh, facts. False fact, right. So somewhat I'm worried because... I'm not really sure if I would like to read news generated by an AI. I would really like it to be like, you know, comes from someone who thinks about the consequences of the things they have written and not just generate text without like any, doesn't think, right? It just do the things that you prompted to do. So it doesn't think about the consequences, doesn't think about the, like the, the mood or like the tone of the thing that it generated. Yeah. So there's also might, a lot of problems with the fact that it might be offensive and it can also generate anything. So if you make it write something offensive, it will, right? Yep. Final words from me about the potential threats from technologies like this when they become democratized, which is inevitable, by the way. Uh, so right now, this is something provided by OpenAI, which is a company co-owned or owned uh, by Elon Musk. <laughs> Again, like Again, Elon. Elon Musk will, will never, be, <laughs> he will never he let will, us go. Yes, he will be. <laughs> He will be mentioned each time in our episodes. And this time is with this. We're not going to talk about Twitter this time. But again, this is a technology which right now stays within one company. So it's in a way sandbox there, but this will change for sure. And there are a lot of challenges for our industry and the natural intelligence, which will, I'm sure that all of these things will happen. The challenges are uh, like people will start to generate a lot of uh, computer generated content, which will be masked as uh, organic content. And we as professionals and media intelligence professionals will need to measure that. And after that, we will need to distinguish this type of content from natural intelligence organic conversation, which could be very challenging. Even right now, the output of this type of models are indistinguishable from something which people generate. So let's imagine, let's give this technology a few years and let's put it into the hands of how to say not that uh, conscious players and the result could be invasion or epidemic of uh, computer generated uh, fake news, information attacks, information overloads, because these machines are extremely productive. And for our industry to survive, we should be capable to distinguish that. So this is one of the challenges which these machines will bring uh, within our industry. And my wild prediction is that this will happen in two years. So it's not that far when we will reach this point. Of course, this is my personal prediction and this is just a prediction. It could happen earlier. <laughs> it could happen in three years. We'll see. But I'm 
convinced that we'll have this type of problem. And when we upgrade this with deep fakes, it will be even harder to process all of this content. So that's why uh, we put this technology and discuss this technology within the Mini Intelligence Podcast. This is very interesting, very promising, very impressive. And at the same time, it will bring a lot of challenges for us. Saying all of this, it's time to move with our guest. Alicia recorded uh, the interview. So we we actually mentioned a little bit uh, that we yeah. uh, have an issue with copyright. So yeah. we actually uh, invited Christoph Dickes to told us a little bit about uh, all the issue regarding the copyright in media monitoring industry, but also in our like what's going on to be in the future was like media monitoring industry role in educating people about copyright and why it is a big issue. And with AI, I think it's going to get even more complicated. So <laughs> I think the interview that we're going to present to you, it's going to be the good foundation to start with. Okay, perfect. Let's move to the interview. We have Christoph Dickes with us today from One Inclusive. Hello, Christoph. Hello, Alicia. Uh, it's so good for you to join us. Thank you so much. I couldn't imagine a better person to talk about copyright issues today. So, Christoph, please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. What's your role in OneClusive? So, my role, uh, I am in charge of content and copyright for OneClusive at the international level. So, I work with the production team and at the same time with the legal team. So, I am in charge of buying the content. Then I work a, a lot, of course, with all the data database licensing organization like CNLA or the CFC. And at the same time, I buy content directly to uh, the publishers, um, of course. And uh, I am in charge of copyright too. So we have decided to join the two departments. And one of my role is to, that's why I work with FIBEP too, but one of my role is to buy content uh, in all the countries where we don't have any office. So this is our FIBEP's partners, Infomedia, Global News, etc. So they are here to provide the content in their countries and my team buys this content to uh, these FIBEP partners. So You know, it was essential for us, for inclusive uh, in the beginning uh, to make things clear that compliance is really important for us and for our clients. Because in a certain way, copyright is not only protect our industry, it's protect our clients. And in more ethic world, of course, our clients ask us to be copyright compliant, even if, of course, they want simple copyright models. Okay, so we told a little bit about what you do in one inclusive and how does I can imagine this must be hard for so many different markets which have different copyright rules, right? Because in every, there is no universal copyright or for, for example, for the European Union. There's so many different copyrights in all the countries. I'm from Poland and from Poland for the longest time, the media monitoring organization were like kind of overruling the copyright law by their right to quote. And this is something that wasn't an issue. So copyright wasn't an issue for a very long time in Poland, but that's a different situation in many other countries. So can you please tell us a little bit? Okay, so if you are a media monitoring company, how does copyright laws apply to, to your work, to your daily job? You know, you have uh, exactly like you said, the situation is different from one country in another. The first type of country is the country where there is a copyright environment in our industry. It's the case, for example, in Germany, in France, in Spain, and in the United Kingdom. So it means that usually you have a right organization who is in charge of collecting on behalf of the publishers the content. The challenge is that sometimes this right organization just represents partly the publishers. For example, in Spain or even in France, you know, in France there is a press coverage which represents for the CFC 65% of our volumes produced. So is it big? Is it small? It it counts. I mean, 65%, it counts of uh, 65% of our volumes. So we play the game of, in all these countries, you have the obligation to play the game of copyrights. Uh, you can't avoid to pay copyright because 
there is a copyright environment. It doesn't mean that you oblige you are obliged to do everything that the collective management organization asks you to do. Sometimes you must defend your interest. It was the case in Spain or today in Italy, we negotiate the web license with an independent authority called AGECOM. And this authority is here to define what is a fair remuneration. So in these countries, you can work, I would say, easily. And the fact that you have a one-stop shop like collective management organization is a good thing. It's not the same, for example, in countries. Sometimes in countries you have different collective management organizations. In UK, you have the CLA and the NLA. In Belgium, you have three or four collective management organizations, depending the type of press, depending the language of press, etc., etc. So, you know, first type of country, the countries where there is a copyright environment in our industry. Um, the second type of countries is the type where there is no clear regulation in our industry. So you have two solutions. The first solution is to do nothing, uh, which is a little bit tricky, which is a little bit risky. Or the second thing to do is to contact directly the publishers. But it's always difficult to work directly with the publishers because they don't have a clear view of what we do exactly. They think at the first step that they we compete us. It's not the case. We work mainly as major monitoring companies, we work with mainly with the communication direction. And, you know, a company which take which subscribe to a publisher which uh, subscribe to a newspaper or a magazine will read all the newspaper or all the magazine in our situation we just collect the news find the news and analyze the news for the communication direction we see how a brand or an institution is coated in a newspaper or a magazine or on the web or on social etc etc so it's to know how you know the news treats uh, a brand or an institution. So the real issue, we are in a B2B world. We are, in a, we are not in a, in a B2C world. But we can speak further about the direct agreements with the publishers. But in these kind of countries, it's really difficult. And I know that in the east of Europe, usually you have a lot of direct contracts with the publishers, which is a problem because from my perspective, sometimes it creates an unfair competition between the media monitoring companies. And my view, this is my thought. I mean, we can't compete each other on the content and we must pay the same copyright uh, for the same services. So second type of country, the countries where there is no clear regulation. And the third kind of countries, this is the countries where it's strictly forbidden to copy the content and to send it. I am thinking about, for example, about Finland, and it's always tricky to use the content. And uh, you have a lot of buyers in the north of Europe for uh, to, to use the content. And this is real, really a problem. And uh, we, we can speak about it later. But it's a problem because the right to access is really a challenge for us. And we, our clients, I am used to saying that there is no company, no institution which can monitor themselves all the media content, all the social media data. So it's our role to be an intermediary between the news environment, journalism, and our clients. Our role is really essential. So three types of countries, countries where you have copyright regulation in our industry, Second type, no regulation, but possibility to have direct agreements with publishers and countries where it's strictly forbidden to, to use the content in our services. In those countries that have copyright laws and have copyright system and like they have like copyright association when the press titles are, for example, are associated, all of that, what are the models of copyright collection and which, in your opinion, is like the fairest or like the best model? Yeah, firstly, we should say, why do we pay copyrights? This is an essential question. We 
pay copyright, I would say, for two main reasons. The first reason is that we copy the content in our database. Then you have two scenarios. You keep the content in your database or you don't keep the content in your database. If you keep the content in your database, you need an authorization. If you don't keep the content, if you create what we are calling a temporary copy of the content, you don't need really a license. This is what we are calling in the United States a fair use principle, even if it's a legal principle, which is more complex that uh, I am saying right now. But it's the, the idea of temporary copy is in the European legal environment, and we can use it in our industry not to ask for an authorization to use the content temporary. First thing, second thing, you copy the content, and then you make it available to a third party, which is our client. So this, as you make available the content, um, as you make available an article to someone, an article which doesn't belong to you, to someone, a third party, then you have to pay what we are calling a first copy fee or just a copyright. So you have two types of models. The first type, I already spoken, spoken about it, it is direct contracts with the publishers or with the right organization. So it means in this kind of situation that there is no contact between the publisher or the right organization and your clients. And from my perspective, this is the best model because this is the easiest. When you, Alicia, you go to the cinema, you just buy one ticket and in your ticket, you have everything. You pay uh, the author, you pay the actors, you pay the producers, you pay everybody. So when a client arrives here in front of Onclusive, it should just, you know, make things easy. And uh, it's our role to make things easy. That's why I prefer one-stop shop and the one-stop shop should be us. So to have a line in your invoice which say, well, you have this service of press reviews, of monitoring, and for these services, then you will pay a percentage of your revenues a percentage of the invoice, which is like a tax. I mean, um, it's not really a tax. It's, it's again, something that you copy and this copy and this article doesn't belong to you. There is an intellectual property on the content you use and you must respect the intellectual property. So first model, this is a model, a direct model, a one-stop shop directly with, with the publisher or the right organization with no contact between the publishers and the writer and the client. But usually in several countries, what we saw is that after dealing with a media management company like in Italy, like in Greece, like in Spain, the right organization usually wants a direct contact with our clients because they just want more money. That's all. So they say that there is a difference between giving an authorization to media managing company like Onclusive and giving an authorization to use the content by the client himself. So there is two usages, what you are doing as media monitoring company and what the client does with the content you send to him. So what we are saying in our industry is that if as Onclusive, I am sending an article to a client, if the client just use it if there is just one user who receives the content and read it and that's all. He doesn't have to pay copyright. But if he wants to reuse it as there is another usage, he must pay more. He must have a license and then to have a license, he will have to pay. So why the final client usually have, uh, has to pay just because he has another usage. And this usage is different from your own usage as media monitoring company. So there are two levels. So the client doesn't pay twice. You pay as a media monitoring company and the final client pays for, for example, redistribute the content internally to 10 users, 40 users, 100 users. And the CFC in France has its own model. So this is a per-user license, in a, a per-user license, but for each article, you just pay one, you receive one article, you pay one article. But if you have 10 users, you will pay more, depend, depending on the number of 10 users. In Italy and in Spain, it's different. In Italy and in Spain, uh, there is a 
global fee per user. So this is, I think, 36 euros per year per user. So it's not a question of number of volumes of article. It's really the number of users. So, you know, for me, the best model is easiest for the client. The easiest for the client is really just to have one contact. Uh, we are here to, you know, you have hotels with all inclusive, all, all inclusive, sorry. It's, it should be the same in our industry. We should, as media monitoring company and analysis company, we should provide a service with all inclusive copyright including. So the problem is that it's not the case. So when a media monitoring company says that we sell to you a press review and this press review is with all copyright including, it doesn't exist. It can't be. It means that there is a copyright infringement here. So because if you want to use UK content, if you want to use German content, French content, you need a license with the rights, with each right organization in France, in Germany, with PMG, in Spain, with CEDO, etc., etc. So I would like, and I have a dream of a simple model, one-stop shopper, all-inclusive model, but it doesn't exist. And the, the company who says the opposite is in a position of copyright infringement, which is a risk. I mean, you have some companies who take this risk, but this is a risk. Do you think that situation that you have all these like different approaches and you have like situation like in Greece when the client have to pay for the content themselves and then the media monitoring company also have to pay for the content. Do you think that could change that we can kind of unite? No, I don't think. I think this, this model of media monitoring pays because a media monitoring company makes available the content to a third party, the client. And at the same time, the client, if he wants to reuse the content internally, he must pay more. This model of the two steps is really the most used in our industry. It is used in France, in Greece, in UK, in Ireland, in Spain. It's something that I don't think it will change. Sometimes a publisher decide to leave the collective management organization and to find a direct agreement with the, right, with the media monitoring company. But my experience is that when you have a direct agreement with a publisher, it's always tricky. You are less in a copyright environment than in a sales environment. So it means that the best offer will gain and will win. And uh, I don't like this situation. I think that uh, FIBEP is here to create a fair market like AMEC. And a fair market means that we cannot compete each other on receiving content, using the content. Because if you have an exclusivity on the content, it will become a nightmare. It becomes impossible to provide our services in a clear environment. The problem is that if there is an exclusivity, you put barriers to access to the content and you create unfair models you create unfair competition. That's why for me, it is the only, the main positive side of the right organization. Because the right organization is here to get the balance right between other media monitoring companies. And I encourage the fact that when you are in a country where there is a right organization, you should work jointly with your competitors uh, with this right organization to defend your interest. And it exists. I mean, you have the UK Media Monitoring Association, you have the French Media Monitoring Association, FIVEM, you have the IVDM in Germany, you have uh, EFEC in Spain, you have Racine Stampa in Italia, etc. So it's important to work jointly with the publishers, but together with our competitors, because, you know, it helps. And uh, we, we are too small. We are a niche market in front of the publishers. Uh, think about the fact that, you know, I always give the example I know the best is the French example. But the French market, media monitoring market, press review market, analysis market, we are at 100, 110 million euros per year. And we face the media revenue in France, which is at 20 billion euros, 20 billion euros, 100 million euros. We are a small market. So if 
you decide to work alone with a publisher, I think that you are too small. I think that you are too small. What we see in our market is that sometimes it's the case for the New York Times. The New York Times work with LexisNexis mainly. You know, it's just because for the publisher, in this case, uh, it's a question of money. It's a question of putting on the table huge amounts. And it's not something that everything can do. And uh, that is why, you know, it creates an unfair competition. I think, because the idea of right to access to the content is fundamental. This is what we can speak about later, uh, what we, we are calling in a legal perspective, an essential facility. An essential facility is we can't work without the media content. So the publisher must make things easy and must allow us to access to the content because without the publisher content, we can't work. Okay, so let's actually talk about that because, as you said, the publisher has exclusive right to the to the content. And what if there is a situation when they refuse an access to the content for, for example, for one of the media monitoring companies, but they offer it to another? So what we can do in that situation? In this situation, this is really, you know, uh, when you have a monopoly, you have an obligation. Uh, you have obligations. This is a right in all the countries, in the United States, in Canada, in Europe. Uh, so when you have a monopoly, and, and, and this is the case even for collective management organization. When you are a collective management organization, you have obligations. For example, regarding pricing, it was exactly what happened in Australia. Uh, in Australia, iSantia and Meltwater decided to refuse the high-level pricing model of the copyright agency. And uh, the, the tribunal said, well, Icentia and Meltwater can respect copyrights, but the price must be fair. And the court decision defined what is a fair remuneration. So you have obligations even if you are a collective management organization. So for the publisher, imagine a publisher doesn't want to provide his content to you but he accepts to provide his content to me. So it's, it creates this unfair competition and you have the possibility to make an appeal, a legal appeal, to say that there is an unfair competition. And you have court decision in the north of Europe. So it was retriever case, if I will remember. Uh, but even in Italy, for example, there is a court decision which say that if you provide the content to one company, as this is, you must provide an essential facility, you have to provide it to the other competitor and to the other competitors. So you can create a disruption in the market. And this is something really important. And I encourage, uh, the problem is usually a question of, we don't have time to make uh, legal actions. We don't have, we are not here to do, to do this. So it's, it's a question of pedagogy. It's a question of explaining the situation and convince the publisher that they must create a fair market. If they don't do it, you have the possibility to contest such decision in front of a court. So one thing which is important is the idea of monopoly. Can we say that a publisher has a monopoly on his own content? Um, you must demonstrate the fact that you can't replace the content by another content. So if you can replace the content from a media by another media, so it means that there is no monopolistic situation. The media has their own monopoly on their content. And as there is this monopoly, they are supposed to, to provide this content to the media monitoring companies to help us in our services because we can't do and we can't work without them. Let's just step up for a bit and talk a little bit about the media monitoring like perspective. Like, let's say I want to start a media monitoring company. Florian Lasho just told me that it's not a good idea anymore, but uh, <laughs> let's just, just say that. So I want to start a media monitoring company. Will copyright issue be an entry level for, for my business? I don't think so. I mean, it's a question of, because, you know, 
My history is that I started to work for Presendex and it was an old company who started to work digitally when all the companies made print and uh, used papers. So we started to work digitally and we approached the publishers, and we said, well, it was the beginning of the emails, it was the beginning of the digitalization, of scanning content, it's, you know, it was the beginning of everything. And I saw the change of the world. We met the publishers and we asked them, uh, well, what do we do regarding copyrights? There was no copyright environment in our industry. And they said, well, the first thing, it was interesting because finally it is an echo of what I said in the beginning. They said, well, join with your competitors and let's see and let's study what we can do together, but around the table with your competitors and we have a joint conversation with you and what about a collective management organization which already exists in the school environment called the CFC? And it was the beginning of everything. It was the beginning of everything. So we create the environment and we took into account the fact that a part of our revenues will go to the publishers. And this is the key. I mean, if you want to create a business, in, if you want to create a media monitoring business, just take into account that a part of, a review of your revenues will go to the publishers. If you don't want, just create summaries, just create analysis content, and that's all. Um, one question you didn't ask me, you, you spoke about what, what, what is, from my point of view, the best model, but a question could be, what is a fair remuneration? Because finally, it's yeah. always a question of money. What are you ready to spend when you launch a new service? What are you ready to, yes, to, to spend for using the content which doesn't belong to you? And the, the answer for me is really simple. This is 10% of our revenue. I mean, Italy is a good example because the history of Italy is that they started with 4% of the revenues, then in the year two, 6%, and finally 8% of the revenues. And it's, it's a good thing. But why it is a good thing? Just because 10% is the average copyright paid in Europe in all the intellectual property industry. 10% in with music, cinema, it's always 10%. You know, I, I'm used to saying that I write books and uh, my, you know, 10% of the revenues of my books sold go to me and I receive 10% of each book sold. So it's 10%, it's an average, it's a European uh, average. And for me, I think it's good, even if I think that in a new market, so a no mature market, we should start at 4%. And it was what the judge decided in Portugal. In Portugal, after the court decision saying that all the media monitoring companies must pay a copyright fee, they decided to apply a 4% of the revenues. And it's good, you know, in France, we had tough negotiations regarding using broadcast content. And in the beginning, they asked for the collective management organization who represented the, the broadcasters, asked for 40% of our revenues, 40%. So we told them, well, uh, we can pay the first year, but the second year we won't pay anything because it will be the end of our industry and the, the media monitoring industry, the, the broadcaster in uh, media monitoring industry. So they understood it, but we had the obligation to, to ask for an intermediary and the intermediary was the culture ministry himself because... Firstly, the culture ministry was a client. And secondly, the culture ministry is in charge of the copyright questions uh, in uh, in France. And the culture ministry said, well, finally, they obliged the CFC and the broadcasters to say, come on, we speak about, you know, small amounts. This is a niche market, please, less than 10%. And we finally paid 6.5% of our revenues, which is acceptable. Today, we are at 8%. So, you know, it's, for me, a fair remuneration is less than 10%, is less than 10%. If you pay more, I think this is a problem. But Alicia, one thing which is really important 
it's not only what do you pay, it's what the final client pays too. So in, again, I am taking the example of France. In France, 100 million or 110 million, is our market media monitoring market represents 110 million euros. On these 110 million euros, we, media monitoring companies and our clients pay 30 million euros of copyright. It's really, really, really high. And, you know, it can't be more. It can't be more today. So that's why we have tough negotiations with the CFC, the right organization, and with the other collective management organizations who are in charge to apply the neighboring rights because we don't want to pay more than we pay today because we pay enough. And you know, there is, and we have a lot of possibilities not to pay copyright, not to pay neighboring right, not to pay more. But, you know, the fact is that in several countries, there is already a copyright environment in our industry. And the neighboring right was made just to make Google pay content, Facebook pay content, Twitter pay content. We are not Twitter, we are not Facebook, we are not Google. We already pay in several countries and we don't want to pay more. Yeah, and we are not really a competition to like these big aggregators. Yeah. Yes, uh, aggregators. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that would be unfair to to charge us more because of that. Um, that yeah. yeah. But actually, when we are on the topic of this, like Google and Facebook and all that, so what is the best strategy for a small like media monitoring company to stay competitive on the market? To say, you know, it's again, it's something that they must take into account in their business plan. In the, uh, so it's an obligation. You can't work without thinking about copyright in our industry. It's impossible. Firstly, secondly, the best strategy is to meet the publishers and all the right organizations. If there is no copyright environment in your country, just select the most important publishers and try to make them work jointly just to allow to work in our industry. But at the same time, use the politicians, the government, the parliament, the, um, the authorities who can support you in your strategy. When, when I'm speaking about this, you know, it seems like a giant, you know, it's impossible what you are saying, Christophe, uh, you speak about uh, going, meeting with the government, meeting with, but it's, it's a question of copyright. And the fact is that all these government, ministries, they are our clients. So they can understand what we do. Firstly, secondly, it's up to us to make things possible. This is exactly what happened in France, but in the other countries too. I mean, we one day again, we said, well, we are here, we make digitalization. What do we do regarding copyright? So let's put the, 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 the issue. So you have two ways. Uh, I would say two strategies. The strategy is to say, well, we are ready to take into account the copyright in our industry. We are ready to take into account in our business plan a percentage of copyright. And the other strategy is to say, well, I don't want to speak about copyright. I don't want to pay copyright. I don't want to move forward on this. And I am waiting for the publishers or the right organization if there is any. So it's a risk. You can take this risk if you want, but it means you Usually that you will face a court case. In all the countries, you know, I have, as you know, I have an international experience. And when I see what happened in the UK, what happened in Poland, what happened in Portugal, what happened in Australia, what happened in the United States uh, between Fox News and TVIs, what happened in the, you know, in the north of Europe, you have a lot of court cases. And it was always a question of uh, what do you do with my content? I am a publisher. I want to know what do you do with my content? And in a digital environment, more today than before, you know, you can't work without this contact with the publishers of the right organization. So again, you can have two strategies to stay hide, to stay, to make your, your best, not to be in the eyes of the publisher or to speak frankly and to say, well, I am using your content. I want to respect copyright. So what can we do uh, together? You know, it is a small contract, but uh, uh, it's an important one. You know, in Cyprus, they decided to join together. And uh, because we work with Cyprus, because uh, Onclusi works with European Commission and um, 
in Cyprus, they decided to join together uh, all the publishers because, you know, they are aware of the fact that we are not a threat for them. Uh, we are not a threat. We don't replace them. In France, we had a court case which said, well, the, the publishers nearly decided to sue us, but he didn't do it. He said to us, you, uh, finally, you replace what I do. You replace all my subscriptions. You impeach me to sell more subscriptions. But so he decided to cut okay, the, the media content, and to stop to send it. And we decided to stop it because we were obliged to stop to use the content. But three months later, he came back and he said, well, I have no more subscriptions and it seems that it hasn't changed. So you are a part of our revenues, um, of my revenues. It is a small part, but it counts. I mean, uh, I have nothing to do. Uh, you just declare the content. Uh, we define a price together and it is good. So again, it's a question in the strategy. In the strategy, depending on the country that you are, you should apply different pricing model. You don't pay an apple in Italy, in France, uh, in Germany, and in Poland, the same price. So it is the same thing with the media content. So you should adapt your model. Just one example. The NLA decided to launch, uh, the newspaper licensing agency in the United Kingdom decided to launch an international license. And they decided to sell, they uh, suggested to sell with a price per article model. And the price per article, the price was two euros per article. But, you know, you can't sell two euros per article in Spain or in Italy or in Poland or in Croatia. You know, it's really, really huge amount. It, it can't be two euros. So they decided to revise their strategy and to adapt themselves to each country, which is good. And I'm fine with it. Example that you said, for example, in Poland, we actually have a lot of clients that are interested in media monitoring in Germany. But when mm. they hear about the prices for the copyright for German articles, they're like, okay, we, we can do without it. Yeah. Because we cannot just, because the, the price is for the German market, right? Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. And there was a court decision, a European court decision, which say that equivalent market, we can apply the same pricing model. But the fact is that when you see, um, the fact is that Germany is the highest pricing model in our industry. We should challenge this because it's really difficult to, you know, to make business in, this, in these countries because of the high expectations of the publishers who decide unilaterally what they want. And it's a question of negotiation. It's a question of uh, taking into account what do we do, at which price, and uh, what is the size of our industry. Yeah, And yeah, it's difficult to speak with, with them. Yeah. So what, what I take from our conversation is that we as a media monitoring organization, we should actually cooperate with copyright uh, associations or with the, with the publishers themselves. Yeah, we shouldn't yeah. try to anyway like try to skip the copyright issues and all of that because you, you can you can <laughs> I think in several countries they decided to to skip it but it's a risk it's a risk today I think this is a huge risk in Europe outside Europe in South America or in Asia it's something that you can do but even in Asia you have some example of Thai newspaper I don't have any example regarding China but you know it's a It's what we are calling the Berns Convention. And the Berns Convention was signed by all the countries or nearly all the countries in the world. It's, again, a question of intellectual property and you must respect it. It, you know... If you are, I don't know, in uh, in Morocco, you use French content, you know, this content doesn't belong to you and you must respect copyright, that's all. That's all. And you need an authorization yeah. for this. Yeah. Just one more question for you. Yeah. In the environment that you say that we don't have copyright environment, there is a big opposition from the clients. They don't want to pay the copyright fees. So my question to you is, should we as media monitoring company educate our client why they should pay copyright? Why it's only fair to pay copyright fees? Should that be also one of the media monitoring organization's jobs to do? I think so, because it was the case, and it's still the case in Spain, for example, education of the client makes them understand that if they use the content, 
uh, more than uh, the media monitoring companies pay, it means that they must at inclusive in our terms and conditions. It is clearly written what are the obligations of the client. And today, you can't work with a European institution without taking into account the copyright question. But, you know, even in Spain, the Spanish authority said they didn't want to pay, which was funny because they voted a law to respect copyright and finally they don't respect copyright or they didn't want to pay more and to respect copyright, which was a little bit paradoxical. But yes, it's a question of education of the client and it takes time. It takes time. I would say that it takes years. I think that it can take five years to educate a market and to make this market mature to accept copyright environment in UK France Germany north of Europe Belgium you have mature markets now um, it's less the case in the south of Europe I think it's our role it's a question of partnership and cooperation with the right organization but the right organization must understand that you have psychological rates. I mean, sometimes you can't pay more and you won't pay more. So again, it's a question of negotiation. Make them aware that we can't pay huge amounts. We won't save press. We are not here to save press because we are a small market, a niche market. But yeah, it's it's a question of education. It's a question of putting in your terms and conditions the obligations of the client to make him understand. But during the presentation you make uh, before signing a contract, it's your role to explain what are the t- challenges. Because it could be an extremist picture, but if I I am selling to you a car I stole. You are responsible too, and I am responsible. This is the same thing. So I think that copyright belongs to the future because you have more and more possibilities for the publishers to control you, to impeach you, to scroll the web, for example. So the publishers have more possibilities to create buyers and That's why you must anticipate this. If you don't anticipate this, it means that your strategy is not good. Great. Thank you so much, Christophe, our conversation. It was really insightful. I hope our listeners also will enjoy it. Thank you, Anissa. Thanks for your invitation. This was the end of the interview and we really hope that the whole conversation was very interesting and very useful for you. A few words about who worked on this episode. The hosts were Alicia Bors and Vlado Petkov. We would like to say thanks to our audio editor, Anton Vele from Govori Internet. would like to say thanks to our marketing team, Anna Tsanova and Oresti Patricios. And I would like to say thanks to Identrix, the company which uh, supports media intelligence explained. Thank you and we'll see each other in a month. Bye-bye.